I invite you to please stand as you're able for the reading of the gospel. The Holy Gospel according to John. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. And let us pray. Gracious God, in great love you sent your Son to save the world. Grant us hearts that are open to your love and a faith that is bold to pattern our lives after the witness of your cross. O God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the past week or so, I have seen many different celebrations of the former president, Jimmy Carter, come across my social media feeds. If you haven't seen or heard the news, President Carter has entered into hospice care and is, he's likely in what are his last days on this side of paradise. In many ways, he was a remarkable president and is a remarkable person. Fun fact, he was the first president born in a hospital. He grew up on a dirt road in South Georgia. He stood with civil rights activists during the 60s. While president, he certainly wasn't perfect, but some of his notable accomplishments are that both the departments of energy and education 
got their starts under his tenure. After his presidency, he may have even become more remarkable. In his efforts to support global human rights, he was no awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. But for me personally, one of his most interesting moments was his renunciation of his membership in the Southern Baptist Convention. This came in the year 2000 when the SBC rejected the ordination of women into the pastorate. In one statement on the issue, he says this, in my opinion, this is a distortion of the meaning of scripture. I personally feel the Bible says that all people are equal in the eyes of God. I personally feel that women should play an absolutely equal role in service of Christ in the church. And to that I say, amen. We're gonna look, or we're gonna get back to look at what it means to distort scripture in a few moments. But I'd like to read to you something else this morning that President Carter wrote. Um, and this, for me, might have been the most interesting thing that I've read about him in the past week. In 1977, NASA launched the Voyager 1 and 2 space probes to venture to the farthest reaches of our solar system and beyond. They both contained what was called the Voyager Golden Record collection of photographs and music and other media files that were representative of life on Earth, at least in 1977. They attached these to the probes as a, a, a means of greeting or welcome if another civilization one day among the stars happens to find them. Attached to that record was a message written by President Carter. Here's how it reads. This is a, this is a present from a small, distant world token of our sounds, our science, our images, our music, our thoughts, and our feelings. We are attempting to survive our time so that we may live into yours. We hope someday, having solved the problems we face, to join a community of galactic civilizations. This record represents our hope and our determination and our goodwill in a vast and awesome universe. Dear friends, this is, no doubt, an impressive display of what I've been thinking of as intergalactic hospitality, no doubt shaped by Carter's deep Christian convictions. Here we have expressed a deep and abiding hope and a love for our own planet, its various civilizations, but also a love for a wider universe, one that exceeds our understanding. This brings me back to our text for today and to maybe the most famous Bible verse of all time. If you know it, you can recite it along with me. John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life. There were some people paying attention in Sunday school when they grew up. Now I want to, this morning, complicate this text for you just a little bit. John 3.16 has been called things like the golden text of the Bible, every man's text, the gospel in a nutshell. Martin Luther even wrote that this single verse was the Bible in miniature. And he might be right. I mean, if you had to isolate just one verse to save from the Bible, from the New Testament at least, this might be one of the top contenders. 
That said, however, we, we do have an entire Bible, thanks be to God. And as you will probably get tired of hearing me say over and over again in my preaching and teaching at St. John's, when we isolate any one verse from the rest of its context, we are at risk of missing its full meaning. Yes, even John 3.16. You see, the problem with John 3.16 is that it, like all verses, is prone to distortion. And specifically, a type of distortion that makes our faith individualistic, just about me. It's been used as a litmus test, as a marker for some Christians for whether or not they are going to treat a person with kindness or charity, or even if they're going to take another person seriously at all. If you don't believe, you might just be shunned, or at least looked at or treated differently. If you have doubt, watch out. Judgment, judgment being the single most effective method in the history of evangelism, lies close at hand. And yes, that was sarcastic. It's a slippery slope from this way of thinking to ending up on the street corner with those signs telling people that they are going to hell. Even if that's true, and yes, it is up for debate, it might not be the best idea to lead with that especially if you want to make any friends, especially if you want to convince anyone of God's love. After all, nothing says God loves you like you're going to hell. There's the laugh. So we need to go no further than the next verse, John 3.17, to see how isolating John 3.16 might be deficient. Here's how that reads. You can look at it in your bulletins. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. You see, if you move too fast through that passage, you skip right to the eternal life part without really focusing in and resting on the fact that God loves the world, the whole world, all of it. Whenever anyone wants to emphasize judgment, I always think two things. First, I think, okay, well, what about you and your sins? One. And then I realize, two, oh, this, this religion thing for you is really only about you, isn't it? About your own safety, your own comfort, your own security. You don't really care about your neighbor. You just want to feel superior. You don't really care about the mission of Christ. You just want to be right. You see, usually when we distort scripture, we distort it in our own favor. Now this line of thinking is problematic because the mission of Jesus isn't just about any one person. It's about all of us together. Properly speaking, it's not my Jesus. It's our Jesus. John 3.16 emphasizes our personal relationship to Christ, which is no doubt of utmost importance. I'm not saying that it isn't. But John 3.17 shows us that it's not just about us. If John 3.16 shows us the heart of God, God's deep love for the world, 
then John 3.17 brings Jesus' specific mission into clear focus and in such a way that we can't get it twisted. Jesus was sent to save the world, not to condemn it, to save it. Our passage for the day is even specific about the exact method. John 3, 14 and 15, those verses leading up to John 3, 16, read like this. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. If you want to know how someone actually gets to that belief bit that's going to save them, look at the cross, the sign of God's love for us. Now, the story of Moses comes from Numbers 21. Let me sum it up for you. While wandering in the wilderness in their 40 years of exile, the Israelite people do what the Israelite people do best. They start complaining. They complain about the lack of food and water. They specifically complain about the manna that God has rained down from heaven to feed them. God sends fiery serpents as judgment, and the people repent real quick. God gives instructions to Moses to raise up a giant bronze serpent on a pole. They look upon it and are healed serves to them and to us as a reminder all at once of the need for utter dependence upon God, the dangers of life without God, the healing and the wholeness that faith can bring to us. Just like that, just like that, Jesus is lifted up for you, for us, for the whole world past and present and future. It's a love that goes beyond anything we can even begin to hope to understand. A a love that defies expectations, that bursts open any of those boxes that we try to contain it in. It's a love that forces out of all of our small ways of interpreting it and into the infinite mystery that lies at the heart of God. With this, I want to go back to Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, a zealous teacher of the law, a religious leader who was respected as an authority. He's intrigued by Jesus. He comes to him in the dark of the night, a setting that implies that despite his religious status and education, he is spiritually ignorant. Turns out, believe it or not, You can have all the answers, but have missed the point entirely. His problem, you see, is that he tries to understand Christ in his own literalistic existing categories. He entirely misses the metaphor of being born from above. It's impossible for him to open himself up to an entirely new spiritual way of being in the world. And make no mistake, for those of us who follow Christ, this is a posture that we have to take. Openness. 
and it's Jesus. It's Jesus who is lifted up on the cross that makes this way of being in the world possible in the first place. We later see Nicodemus and John 19 helping to bury Jesus after his crucifixion, his conversion complete. You see, it's the sign of the cross of Jesus lifted up for you and for me, for all of us. It's the sign of the cross that reveals to us just who God is. It's the power of the cross that makes a way for our salvation, that draws us back time and time again into the mystery of God's love for us, despite all of our flaws and imperfections. A little later in John, Jesus is teaching again his disciples, and he's telling them about his death. He says this, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people, all people, to myself. That's John 12, 32. God's cross-shaped love has implications for us, dear siblings. God's love, you see, is a bit of a paradox. It's both, on the one hand, deeply peaceful, and on the other, always restless. It brings us comfort. It heals our sins. It makes us whole. But it's never content with just that. It's not content until it saves all, until it heals the entirety of creation. You see, Christ has this magnetic pull, this gravity about him that draws all people, all things, back into right relationship with God. Our faith in Jesus brings us this eternal, abundant life, a life that can begin right in the here and now. We get there only by means of the cross. And so part of what this means is that our faith, our faith implicates us. It binds us up into Christ's mission. We too, when we are filled with God's spirit, should be both confident in that love, at peace, but also restless and eager to manifest God's love throughout the world. And as President Carter hoped, maybe even beyond the stars. To go back to John 3.16, we should never use it or any other bit of scripture to condemn people, but always and only to draw and invite people in to God's love. And so I want to leave you this morning with some questions. Some questions that might prove unsettling. The first one is this. Is the cross of Christ at the center of your faith? Are you ready and willing to let go of whatever it is you think you know and to follow Jesus? Is your love cross-shaped? Are you joining in that mission to save the world? Or are you content with it just being about you? If our faith in Christ is the key to eternal life, then we must always be aware. Aware of how our lives, our actions, our words are either attracting people to the cross 
or repelling people from it. As disciples, you see, we are Christ's messengers, God's representatives on this earth. We've got to always remember, it's never just about us. Jesus was and is and always only ever will be about saving the world. All of it. Amen.